Good afternoon from USC's Annenberg Media Center, and welcome to From Where We Are from Annenberg Radio News. For Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017, I'm Charlotte Kim. First, a news update with Sam Newman. More than a dozen Southern California residents have been identified as victims from Sunday's mass shooting in Las Vegas. Officials have confirmed that 22-year-old South Bay resident Christina Duarte, who attended the concert, is missing. Las Vegas is still in shock from the tragic shooting. Annenberg Media's Brittany Hope is live from the Nevada University Medical Center with an update. Brittany, tell us about what you're seeing. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, I'm here at the University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. The scene right now is much calmer than it has been the past two days. Now, UMC is the only level one trauma center in Nevada, which means that most of the patients who were shot on Sunday night needed assistance here. Now, this is one of the few actually freestanding trauma units in all of the U.S. They have 11 trauma bays, three CT rooms, a CT scanner, a trauma lab. I mean, they have everything. But even then, there was still patients needing assistance at other facilities that didn't have the same resources that um, the UMC has. Now, there is a waiting center at the UMC for family and friends of victims. And they're all waiting in there where donations are also being brought by local nonprofits and volunteers, whether that's water, oatmeal, burgers. We have people barbecuing. Um, The community is really evident here. And right in the UMC's parking lot is a large blood drive where they've actually received too much blood and are now having the privilege, I guess you would say, of turning people away. So um, it's a calm scene over here, over at the blood drive. Um, Spirits are high over at the medical campus. Um, People are just trying to trying to make it through the day. That's great. So, Brittany, you were on the Strip earlier today. What was the overall mood down there less than two days after the attack? Right. So, I mean, to be honest with you, Sam, the the Strip was pretty empty. There's, besides a few tourists who I think just had the unlucky um, situation of being here, they were really the only ones on the Strip, and there wasn't that many tourists. Um, As most of you know, have been to Las Vegas. Usually the Strip is packed. There's people jaywalking. It's nutty. But the the city of Neon Lights is now pretty quiet. Um, There's a lot of um, emergency response vehicles. I was earlier at Caesars Palace and at Mandalay Bay, and there was a lot of emergency vehicles over there and a lot of emergency personnel standing by. So the city, and especially the Strip, is really on a standstill. Everyone's really vigilant and keeping their eyes open, but it's pretty quiet over here. Thank you so much, for Brittany, for your update. And make sure to keep us updated as more details become available. And we're going to have more on this story later in the show. No charges today are being filed against a USC professor who reported a false alarm of an active shooter on campus yesterday. As Ariel 2 reports, the professor's alert came just hours after the Las Vegas massacre on Sunday. Daniel Jeffcott had just showed up to his business class only to find his professor crying hysterically. Once the last student arrives, she goes, okay, push all the tables to the edges of the the room and barricade the door. Jeffcott and the students thought it was a drill until the professor told students to call DPS to report an active shooter on campus. I'm looking through the window of the door and I realize everyone else is still going about their business. And that's when other students start looking at our door and realize, like, what the hell is going on? Once police arrived, Jeffcott tried to tell them what happened, but police first had to ensure the building was clear. Jeffcott thinks the event has something to do with the Las Vegas shooting. Maybe she knew someone that was there, that could, or maybe the events that happened last night just affected her so much that she was in this mind state that she was in. 
Social work professor David Schoenfeld says people who have witnessed or heard of tragedies like Las Vegas can become overly sensitive, reacting in unusual ways. DPS says the professor has been put on a 72-hour mental evaluation. USC is now investigating the incident. For Annenberg Media, I'm Ariel Tu. President Donald Trump visited Puerto Rico today, weeks after Hurricane Irma and Maria devastated the U.S. territory. Priscilla Nieves, a law student in San Juan, says U.S. relief efforts have not been sufficient despite the president's visit. I have not seen a lot of distribution of meds or supplies of, of, for people to get their medical attention, not just in hospitals, but outside of the hospitals, such as homes, um, nursing homes, kids' homes, or orphans' homes. Nieves also claims that Puerto Ricans are receiving less aid than other American citizens, such as victims of Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, there needs to be more aid. There needs to be more help. You know, as an Amer- as American citizens that we are, we're not getting the help that we supposed to have. And as a human being, it pains my heart to see people dying in their own homes, not in hospitals or anything. Since the storm, Nieves says classes have been canceled. There is no timetable for when they will resume. Tonight, clouds will clear and temperatures will drop to a low of 58. Tomorrow, temperatures will remain in the upper 70s with a high of 78. The final day of cooler weather before we head back up to the high 80s later this week. Voters are at the polls today to fill the 51st Assembly District seat in California. It was previously held by Jimmy Gomez, who was elected to Congress. 13 candidates are on the ballot, 10 are Democrats, the others represent the Libertarian and Peace of Freedom parties. If no candidate receives a majority, a runoff between the top two vote-getters will be held December 5th. Tom Petty fans flocked to Hollywood today to pay tribute to the life and career of the rock and roll icon. Petty suffered a heart attack and died last night. Fans led a candlelit vigil at the singer's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Lisa Purdy came from Downey to pay her respects for Petty's life's work. His music was just so powerful about relationships and love and loss and just an amazing guy. And I'm just so sad that he's gone. I'm glad I got to see his final tour. I've seen him many times over the years. He was one of my first concerts. His band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, served as a voice for the younger generation of the 70s and 80s. Petty alone sold more than 80 million records worldwide, making him one of the best-selling musical artists of all time. Petty was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002. Snapchat released a new augmented reality feature today that will digitally showcase art pieces in various locations. Serene Habashian reports that Snapchat wants to help people express their creativity in new ways. All you have to do is open the app. That's Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel. Tap on the screen to activate lenses, and then you can experience, uh, you know, a balloon dog. (laughs) You can enjoy it, you can create, um, you know, you can layer your experience on top of uh, what you see. But uh, I guess that's really kind of, you know, there's not one thing you have to do with Snapchat. You can express yourself however that art moves you. Spiegel spoke at the Vanity Fair New Establishment Summit today, just as the augmented reality feature was unveiled. Augmented reality is a creative use of technology that brings digital elements and overlays them on the present reality. Spiegel says smartphones have allowed a shift from traditional text-based information to digital forms of content. He believes the new lenses will encourage anyone, anywhere, to be creative. 
Well, when we try to empower people to express themselves, one of the reasons why we use the camera is because cameras inspire curiosity. You open into your own experience, and you know, they, they kind of encourage you to look around. Augmented reality can add contextual information to a space in real time, often viewed through lenses. Robert Hernandez, a digital journalism professor at USC, says this technology will help contextualize storytelling. However, Hernandez is wary as to whether this use of the technology will catch on. Snapchat continues to innovate, and uh, it needs to sustain growth and relevancy um, with this audience. I don't know if, if an art version of Pokemon Go is going to get people on Snapchat to go do that. Um, most AR and even VR content at the moment is neat. It's borderline gimmicky, if not gimmicky. Um, it's not compelling storytelling. We're the ones who jump on these things and validate it or jump off these things and move on to something else. You can find the new virtual art installations by pointing your Snapchat lens in specific location in cities including Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C., Paris, and London. For Annenberg Media, I'm Sarin Habesian. The National Basketball Association is scrapping the East versus West format of the All-Star Game. The long-time policy will be replaced in favor of a system where captains will pick their own teams. The change comes as NBA players and coaches have spent years trying to improve the All-Star Game in an effort to increase competition. The 2018 All-Star Game will be played February 18th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. It's nine minutes after the hour. I'm Sam Newman. Thanks, Sam. Coming up on From Where We Are, we'll get the chance to hear Taylor Edgehill report live from Las Vegas. More to come on her update on the Las Vegas shootings. Two Caltech and one MIT professor today were awarded the 2017 Nobel Prize in Physics. The scientists are being recognized for their work in detecting gravitational waves and opening up new worlds in space. Reporter Katia Jordan spoke to the Caltech winners at a news conference this morning. Caltech professors Kip Thorne and Barry Barish and MIT professor Rainer Weiss were awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics for their work on the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, also known as LIGO. What LIGO did is play an instrumental role in providing astronomers with resources and data to learn about the cosmic objects and black holes. Here's what Barry Barry says. I've been working on it 22 years. It's a long time. So if you work on anything for 22 years, you have to really have a vision of what your goal is. And you also have to have a personality, which I happen to have, that doesn't require instant gratification. More than 1,500 people were involved in the project. The Nobel Committee singled out these three for their pivotal roles in the discovery. Kip Thorne says everyone should be recognized. I'm feeling disappointed that it went to us as individuals and not to the entire team, so it's complicated. The groundbreaking discovery LIGO made was with gravitational waves, which were discovered by Albert Einstein about 100 years ago. But Einstein thought scientists would never be able to directly observe them. LIGO's observatories did exactly that, and now astronomers have new ways to discover what's in space. We have uh, the greatest scientists of the last hundred and some years invented a theory that was different than Newton's theory, 
the theory of gravity. So a Caltech grad student, he's not part of LIGO, but he says this discovery helps him too. But for me, a lot of the technology that they've developed for the last 30 years that has enabled them to make their great discovery is used by myself and other graduate students in our day-to-day -day lives. Barish and Thorne join 36 other Caltech professors and alumni who have received Nobel Prizes. For Annenberg Media, I'm Katya Jordan. Now it's time for Ampersand. Ampersand. Radio. Covering Los Angeles arts and culture, and everything in between. From fashion advertisements to music videos, the millennial obsession with bright colors has taken over Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. To see what female artists are doing with neon these days, Britt Wigginton traveled to the Museum of Neon Art in Glendale to find out. Some artists like to work with paint. Some like to draw with charcoal. Some prefer to manipulate clay. But at the Museum of Neon Art's newest exhibition, called She Bends, the medium is glass tubes filled with light and color. The title of the show refers to the act of bending the heated glass tubes that neon signs are made out of. This is the largest exhibition of female neon artists to date. Not only that, but the artists handcrafted each piece themselves, as opposed to outsourcing the work to a neon studio. The Museum of Neon Art sits on Brand Boulevard, directly across from the Americana Mall in Glendale. The show opened on a recent Saturday night, and as I entered, I was immediately taken by the ethereal, colorful glow that bounces off every wall. A DJ bobs her head in a corner while visitors mill about. In the center of the gallery hang two neon signs. One depicts a smirking woman holding a red high-heeled shoe threateningly. In the other, a woman is seen from behind, her arms draped lazily around the side of a bathtub. The artist is Kate Hush. I've just always loved neon in cinema and all these like Wicked Women characters, I've always loved them and there are, they were in these film noirs and they were always be bathed in neon and I was like, why can't I take that one step further and make them out of the neon? Kate has been working with neon as her primary medium for about five years. Her work flips the male gaze on its head. I'm kind of like taking back those like sex industry signs of the nude women for the strip clubs and putting a spin on them. And what I do is I take the really thin neon glass and I have these kind of women acting out these stereotypes that men have of us, and of like that we're greedy and that we use sex as a weapon and that like we're only after money and all this other stuff. And it's kind of like these snapshots of a story. What most people don't realize is how dangerous working with neon is. The glass it's made of is very fragile. One wrong move and your entire piece could be ruined. It's a highly complicated process. Eve DeHaan is another of the artists. Her piece is a series of borderless words. It glows on the gallery wall in bright pink. In a loose scrawl, it reads, love don't pay the bills. I've basically been making artwork with this phrase for like ages with loads of different mediums and then when I finally was able to do it with neon I just thought it was the best because it's like, it's so brash but so true, right? Other pieces in the show feature interpretations of tarot cards, the empress, the lovers, and death, and a giant neon yellow figure in full lotus position suspended from the ceiling. Viewers pose in front of each piece to have their picture taken. 
If the nature of neon is to make the viewer stop, look, and pay attention, the pull of this seemingly old-fashioned medium remains strong, even today, in the digital age. You'll have until February of 2018 to see She Bends for yourself at the Museum of Neon Art in Glendale. For Annenberg Media, I'm Britt Wigginton. For the first time in 13 years, the Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles opened the waitlist for Section 8. This program subsidizes monthly rent for low-income people. Erica Klein has a story. At a press conference at the Los Angeles Central Library, Douglas Guthrie, President and CEO of the Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles, said that city officials are aware of LA's affordable housing crisis. Two-thirds of all the renters in the City of Los Angeles are rent burdened, uh, where they're paying in excess of 30% of their income towards their rent. Guthrie says that the Housing Authority expects about 600,000 people to apply, and 20,000 applicants will be selected by lottery for the Section 8 waitlist. At the press conference, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti acknowledged that limited federal funding means that many applicants will not get vouchers. The hard truth is this program is severely underfunded. I wish we could give a voucher to everybody who is qualified, but not everybody who applies will get in. 36-year-old Tamara Meeks was on the prior Section 8 waitlist for 16 years and has just received a Section 8 voucher. Now, she's looking for housing under the program. Actually, um, I don't know. They had me pick from three different places. I applied for two, and in two weeks I'll know which one I can get into. I'll move in right away. I want people that accept dogs, you love my dog. I want to go where I'm comfortable and I'm welcome. She knows exactly where she'd like to live. So one of the uh, primary cities uh, for black people is Watts, and that's where I grew up at, and it's a lot of history there, and it's a lot of people that own homes there. And I want to be a homeowner also, um, so that's the area I would like to own a home in. Professor of the Practice of Public Administration at USC, Mark Pisano, says that Section 8 isn't enough to relieve the housing crisis. My assessment is, is that, the, that the steps that we've taken thus far, both at the city level um, and at the state level, are not addressing the issue. Pisano says that it's vital to address community opposition to building affordable housing. We need to deal with how we finance all the infrastructure and finance the environmental mitigation that is needed to reduce the community opposition and the opponents of increasing the housing supply. For now, eligible residents have a chance to get housing through Section 8, though the wait may be many years. The online application will be open for two weeks beginning October 16th. For Annenberg Media, I'm Erica Klein. This week marks the start of the new session of the United States Supreme Court. Renny Svernovsky takes a look at the docket, which is full of unique landmark cases. The Supreme Court convened on Monday with a schedule full of hot-button issues. We've got cases on partisan gerrymandering, sports betting, and whether the rights of a same-sex couple to buy a specially created wedding cake outweigh those of the baker. According to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it'll be a monumental term, not least because it'll be Justice Neil Gorsuch's first full one. This past April, the conservative justice was sworn in as the ninth Supreme Court justice, replacing Justice Antonin Scalia and skirting the scrutiny President Obama's nominee Merrick Garland was subject to. Before he took his oath, Gorsuch vowed to uphold precedent, which could mean he'll be unlikely to overturn the historic Roe v. Wade decision. The Supreme Court docket holds a series of cases that could define America's political future and could be determined by how Gorsuch votes. 
He could grow into an even bigger deal if 81-year-old Justice Anthony Kennedy decides to retire, giving President Donald Trump the chance to appoint a second justice to the court, potentially another conservative. We spoke with law professor and practicing lawyer Lincoln Banlow to hear what we should expect this term, with Gorsuch looking to be an active voice on the court. It doesn't probably change the makeup of the court substantially at all because Gorsuch's political and uh, uh, legal ideology would be very similar to Scalia. So you basically have the same composition, I think, um, of the court. Of the cases the court will be tasked with deciding, the highest visibility case involves Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado where in 2012 a same-sex couple tried to order a cake for their wedding reception. The owner, who said he would be happy to sell them a cake off the shelf, refused to create a unique cake for their wedding, citing his religious convictions. The couple filed a discrimination claim with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, who ruled in their favor. So did the state Supreme Court, but now the cake shop owner has appealed to SCOTUS, claiming that he has the First Amendment right of artistic expression. Well, obviously, the, uh, you know, the the Baker case, the, the case of the baker who doesn't want to uh, design a cake for a gay wedding is a very interesting case because it's a, a an intersection of two aspects of the First Amendment that are quite uh, important in this country, the religious freedom aspects of it and the free speech aspects of it, uh, and the intersection of that with equal protection and those kind of arguments. So I think that one is fairly significant. Also significant will be whether the justices find that law enforcement does need a warrant to access cell phone tower data. It feels intrusive to be able to get into somebody's phone and phone data without either having probable cause or a warrant to do so. Um, So I'm not, you know, it it wouldn't strike me as odd if the Supreme Court stretches that concept as far as that. But I do know a number of courts have have held. Uh, you know, in the early development of cell phones, that there really wasn't a reasonable expectation of privacy in the information contained on there. Um, there's also the issue of, of uh, you know, being able to go to a third party to get stuff rather than going through the person themselves. So I- and it'll be worth keeping an eye on how SCOTUS decides in the cases of the Trump travel ban and the use of gerrymandering to form districts that benefit Republican constituents, and the legality of sports betting at casinos and racetracks in New Jersey. The session will run until late June or early July. For Annenberg Media, I'm Renny Svernovsky. Madeline Benn contributed reporting. Now, the Annenberg Media Pop Culture Desk presents the Buzz Roundup. Reporter JT Arose has this week's biggest stories in the world of entertainment. From Annenberg Media Center, this is your weekly Buzz Roundup. The biggest and most tragic story this week is a massacre shooting in Las Vegas. Celebs like Jason Aldean, John Legend, and Mariah Carey took to social media to share their grief. This is the deadliest shooting in U.S. history, and now stars like Gigi Hadid, Lady Gaga, and most recently Jimmy Kimmel are calling for reform on gun control laws. Common sense says no good will ever come from allowing a person to have weapons that can take down 527 Americans at a concert. Common sense says you don't let those who suffer from mental illness buy guns. You know, in June of last year, the NRA fought to make sure people on the no-fly list can buy guns. They aren't allowed to get on a plane. They're allowed to own a very dangerous gun. Who thinks that makes sense? Russell Brand even shared a video on his YouTube page dissecting the deadly shooting. When this sort of thing happens frequently, 
it's an indication that there is a kind of a social psychosis, a mass unhappiness. But I would say that this social phenomena occurring this regularly and our ability to see it as kind of normal is an indication that we need to address the root cause. And the root cause is always the consciousness of human beings on an individual and social level, i.e. people are very, very, very unhappy and manifestations of this unhappiness are everywhere. So we need to change the systems by which we live. Reports are now detailing that at least 59 people were killed and more than 500 people have been injured. Clark County Coroner John Feudenberg says that number could still go up. Hugh Hefner's cause of death has finally been revealed after the entertainment world was shocked last week by the Playboy mogul's passing. Hefner's death certificate cites that he suffered from cardiac arrest and respiratory failure. Jared Leto is reportedly expected to play Hefner in a future biopic. The Hollywood Reporter says Leto apparently told the biopic's director, Brett Ratner, I want to play him. I want to understand him. No word yet on when the upcoming film is scheduled to be released. And on to some lighter entertainment news. Curb Your Enthusiasm fans will feel pretty, pretty good about this. The show returned on HBO this week after a six-year hiatus. Curb is one of the many TV shows like Twin Peaks, Will & Grace, and Fuller House that have gotten a series revival. Kendall Jenner has finally shared her thoughts on her Pepsi ad scandal back in April. The reality star was seen breaking into tears on Keeping Up With The Kardashians and confiding with her older sister, Kim. Jenner said on the show, If I knew this was going to be the outcome, I would have never done something like this. Kendall's Pepsi ad was eventually pulled after it received tons of backlash. For Annenberg Media, JT Arose here with your latest Buzz Roundup. If you've ever wondered about the origins of curious words and phrases, here's Wills Farnsworth with today's Root Source. On today's Root Source, we're taking a look at the history of the word bum. Because you're training like a damn bum, you know that? Bum. A bum! Before you heard it in that clip from Rocky, bum started out as an old English insult in the 14th century to refer to someone's buttocks. Bum's American origins start in the Civil War era as a derivative from the German word bumler, which means to loaf around and beg for bread. The Union Army had over 200,000 German immigrants in its ranks and shortened the word to bummer, which became popular army slang. The Germanic and English influences came together to define bum as we now know it. So if someone asks if they can bum a sig or describes themselves as a ski bum, they're not just mocking themselves as poor and lazy. They're also comparing themselves to, well, a buttocks. And now, for another live update from Las Vegas, reporter Taylor Edgehill joins us from the Las Vegas show strip with an update on the aftermath of Sunday's massacre. So, Taylor, what have you learned today? Hi. So, right now, I'm in downtown Las Vegas, which is pretty much at the end of the strip, which is a mile-long street throughout the center of Las Vegas. And right now, it's actually pretty quiet. I've been here in the past before. And, yeah, there's not as many tourists, for sure, visiting the area. I had the opportunity to actually talk to a store owner here who owns a small convenience store, and she was telling me about the experience after the shooting on Sunday night. Apparently yesterday, the strip, as she said, was entirely like a morgue. It was 
very quiet. There weren't a lot of tourists on the street. There definitely weren't a lot of people coming into the stores, shopping, coming to experience the entertainment here. Um, and even a lot of the entertainers themselves, um, the drag queens, the singers, the artists, a lot of them just weren't here, and it was pretty quiet. Um, she did say, though, that by the end of the week, things are hoping to be back to normal. But, yeah, in terms of businesses and shops and all the entertainment that goes on on the Strip, that's pretty much what's been going on. Oh, I see. And um, since you're on the Strip right now, can you tell us a little about the current situation? So, like, does it feel safe to you? Do you see any security, security enforcement around? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, I am on the Strip. I'm in downtown Las Vegas, which is a really important part of the Strip, really busy. Um, as far as law enforcement go, there is police. There are police cars actually all over. They're parked along the sidewalks of the Strip. Um, so far, I have seen law enforcement walking about. They've been very friendly interacting with everyone that's been walking along the Strip. They've been talking to people. I've heard, I've definitely heard um, customers, tourists talking to them, asking them how everything's been going, um, praising them, shouting out good job and everything. So, yeah, it seems that they're, you know, it does feel very safe here at this end of the strip. There are a lot of police cars around and a lot of officers out and about walking around as well. Um, so, yeah, for sure. Definitely feels safe. And it definitely feels that you know, law enforcement is actively involved in reuniting the community after Sunday's night's horrible event. Okay, and um, do you have like a quick response to how bustling other impact uh, other businesses are on the Strip, besides the one you mentioned Sorry. before? Sorry, could you repeat that one? Uh, is there any uh, bi impacted businesses on the Strip? Oh, actually, um, uh, uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, goodbye, thank you so much. Uh, that's it from where we are today. Today's show was produced by Garrett Schwartz, and we had help from Jeremy Thompson and Elliot Yang. Uh, the theme music was composed by Derek Renfro, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Annenberg Media. For Annenberg Media, I'm Charlotte Kim.